This week at church, we're joined by John McKinley. Let's not even go that far. If God didn't want us to find him, he would have never created you. If God didn't want to be with you, he wouldn't have created you. In fact, you can join us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for free coffee, free baked goods, a worship service, and a sermon to follow. The church is located by the Coventry Mall on Laurelwood Road. But what I do want to talk about today, uh, in your notes you see there, the sermon title is Lost and Found. A couple months ago, I had talked or I'd spoke about uh, just briefly during the announcement something that came across to me. You, you know, we we do stuff like you lose your keys, your phone, stuff like that, and it, it's frustrating. And you're looking and you're searching, and it seems like it takes forever. And then when you finally find it, you finally find the thing you're looking for. It's amazing, like it's euphoric. You're, you're so excited. But why don't we do that when it comes to God? That's what I want to look at. So uh, there's actually, if you look in the world today, there's a whole bunch of different cliques of people and types of people. And uh, I have some pictures here because they're kind of funny to me. Uh, so the first group that I want to I talk about are the hipsters. So hipsters, uh, you see here, they're strange looking people, but God loves them just the same. All they do, all they do is look for the next trend. It doesn't matter what the trend is, they're going to they're gonna go for it. If it's big beards, they're going for it. If it's, if, if it's neck, I don't know, is that a necktie or is that a scarf? I have no idea. I don't know. And apparently, the picture's kind of cut off, but his pants are rolled up almost to his knees. So obviously, he's looking for high water coming at any time. But then you have, what, Mandy said it's the same guy. I don't know if it's the same guy. But then we go to drifters. So... And, and drifters, all they're doing is looking for the next destination. And you kind of think of drifters like hobos, which back in the day meant homeward bound. So they were on the job and they're trying to get home, hopping trains, whatnot. So you think of this, when you think of hobos, you got the pack, whatnot, but it's not anymore. People don't, well, I guess they do it because they took pictures, but they, they look like this now. This tiny house nation is going crazy. Everyone wants to be mobile, but they don't want a mobile home, but they want a small home they can hook up to a mobile car. Okay, it doesn't matter. But, so you have people who are just trying to find the next destination. And this is one of my favorites here. This, these are the spiritualists. All they're doing is looking for the next a la carte high that they can get from God, somewhere, anywhere. And there's a really cool quote that I found uh, that's talking about this. So church hoppers are like wandering dogs. If they're not regularly patted on the head, they'll go elsewhere until they are. As sad as that sounds, that's what happens. Every, not everyone, but there's people out there who are looking for something else. If they can't find it here, they'll go somewhere else. And unfortunately, I was one of those people at one point. We, when I was a teenager, we didn't have a youth group. And I wasn't looking really for a spiritual high. I was looking for a place to fit in. So I went to Morningstar a couple of miles down the road just to go to youth group. And that was fine. You know, it's, and even, but it kind of neglected a little bit for my commitment to this church because Sunday mornings I would show up, I would play the drums, and as soon as worship was over, I'd leave and go to Morningstar to go to their second service so I could be with my friends. So there was, there was a commitment, a lack there, a lack of commitment that, one, I was a teenager, I didn't care about, but that's something we need to, to concentrate on. But as we see from here, uh, the pictures, and they're funny, and, and groups of people are funny, uh, but we see that searching has become the popular thing to do. And I remember in our small group, uh, Becky was talking at one point, she said, you know, 
our generation, her generation, which is technically my generation too, if, if you fall in the, in the lines of the births there, searching is the thing. That's all we care about. But we have to ask ourselves, why do we just search? Why do we continue to search and not really look for an answer? And it's, it's what I think is people want new and improved. They want the latest. I'm guilty. I just ordered a new iPhone 7 Plus. I'm an Apple guy. I want the newest. I want the best. And I think that stems from when I was a kid. I didn't really get new. I didn't get the best. I got what we could afford. I got what Chris had before me. But now that I can afford it, I want it. And I think that's, that's a problem as well. But even though we're looking for new and improved, can I suggest that God is not something we should look new and improved for? Let me, let me clarify that for a second. Because I know God's mercies are new every morning, so that we can look new and improved. But God himself, let me clarify. So in 1 John, he writes, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. Rather, it's an old one that you've heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you've heard before. See, when John was writing to these guys, they were like, yeah, awesome. Jesus saves, loves, woohoo. Give me something new. There is nothing new. That's, that's all there is. That's what there is, is God. So we don't want a new God. We want a God who's tried. We want a God who's tested. We want a God who's proven. And I don't know, maybe from the beginning of time, he created time. He created us. See, if we look in our text, our text is going to be Matthew 7, uh, 7 and 8. And it'll be up on the boards uh, if you don't, or I guess the board, if you don't have your Bible with you. But our text says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I want to go over a few thoughts this morning about this concept of lost and found. Let's pray real quick. God, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are tried and tested and you have a stamp of approval written all over you. And there's a guarantee on the box as well. God, I pray that as we go through your word and, and we learn more about you, that our hearts would be open, our ears would be open, and we'd be receptive to what you have to say. God, I pray that you would use me today and, and have your words come out of me and not my own. God, I, I planned this message, but you take it where you want it. In Jesus' name, amen. So that goes back to my first question. Have you ever lost something? Anything? Anything at all? I have to admit, and I almost did it again today, one time I lost our mailbox key for the apartment. We looked everywhere. Everywhere. Under the couch, under the chair, in the cars, upstairs, downstairs, bathroom. Don't know why it would be in there. We looked everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And then finally, it found, it came up. And my father-in-law's truck at his house. We borrowed it a couple days beforehand, so apparently I checked the mail, uh, returning the truck. But um, it, it was crazy. We, we even asked, we called the apartment complex, and we're like, do you guys have an extra key? Because uh, this one's gone. Like, it's just gone. But then we finally found it. So there's uh, probably been uh, many times in our lives that we've lost something. Uh, you've probably lost your keys or your phone or wallet or even your way, which it's a funny story. There was an elderly man took the same walk every single day. And one day he goes out on his walk, and about an hour later, cops knock on his door, 
And his wife comes to the door and she goes, what's wrong? Uh, we found your husband. At least that's what's on his, his license. He said this is your address. Um, he said he was lost and we, we wanted to give him a ride home. Goes, oh, oh, okay. Thanks. Thanks. So the, the cops leave and, and the guy comes in and she goes, you've been taking this walk for 20 years. How did you get lost? Because I didn't get lost. I just didn't want to walk home. <laughs> so I, I even saw a picture on Facebook the other day that said I, I spent the last 15 minutes searching for my phone in my car using my flashlight on my phone to look. <laughs> Who's guilty? Who's guilty? Come on, yeah. I've done it before too. So, and, and even my mom, she'll, she'll lose her glasses when they're sitting right here. <laughs> Has anyone seen? And now she always goes like this. Where are my glasses? Oh, okay. <laughs> She'll do the double pat. So although it seems like most of the time the world uh, we live in is, is much more focused on being lost. So it, it's crazy. But the first point that I want to go over, the first thought is God wants us to search. God wants to know us. And he, want, and, uh, he wants us to know him. If you look back... Um, through my life, I grew up in a great house. Even though I didn't think so at the time, I grew up in a very uh, blessed situation to have uh, parents that I do. I mean, they're both pastors and they're God-fearing people. And um, I, I even had a hand in my mom getting her credentials because I was an arrogant little person. <laughs> and it was about 2007, I think it was. I would lived in Florida still. It might've been 2006, the end. I flew home to buy a car. I came home on a Saturday, bought a car Saturday, drove home Monday. They're back to Florida Monday. But I, I said, I have no idea why I said this. I said, Mom, do you want to drive with me? And she said, yeah, that would be awesome. And then I was like, man, we butt heads a lot. That's a long trip. But we had fun. We, we had good conversation. And, and like I said, I was arrogant. And I said, why didn't you ever finish college? She goes, well, your dad graduated. We were called and, and we, we left. And I said, well, why don't you go back to school and do something with your life? I know, I know, not the nicest thing to say, but uh, it got her thinking. And then a couple years later, she was ordained with the Assemblies of God. And I don't take credit for that. I don't want to take credit for that. That's still her passion. She was a pastor before she had a piece of paper that said she was a pastor. And in my house, that's what it was. The passion that they hold for Christ and the church is amazing, but that passion didn't make me a Christ follower. Nobody can do that but you. Nobody can search. Nobody else can search for you. You have to do that for yourself. I had to actively seek the Lord to get to where I am today. And I'm not perfect by any means. By any means am I perfect. I did a lot of things in my past that I am not happy about. And I did a lot of things that hurt a lot of people. And I was extremely, extremely far from God. I wasn't even looking for him. And I was in church every Sunday. Every Sunday I was in church and I couldn't even care less if he was there or not. You know, in Matthew 6, it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I wanted all these things, but I didn't want to seek him. I wanted everything else that I could get my hands on. I wanted alcohol. I wanted drugs. I didn't want God but I'd show up to church every Sunday just because that's what you're supposed to do. It didn't matter. But when you seek him first, then he'll give you good things, edifying things. But we have a limited time to seek. 
we don't have a whole lifetime. We're not guaranteed the next breath. So, and it even says in Isaiah 55.6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. That tells us that he's not going to be near at one point. And that point is at the final judgment. If he doesn't say, well done, my good and faithful servant, he will be far from you. And there's nothing you can do about it. So while we can do something about it, let's look for the answer. And that answer is God. So the most amazing thing in my life about God is is we kind of have to search him out. And then he's going to reveal himself to us. And I know some people, they say, God found me. I I wasn't doing anything. God found me. I wasn't looking for him. And you know what? There's there's a a small, small sliver of truth to that. But it's, I, I still say you're false. You have to be. Everybody's looking for something. Everybody wants to believe in something. Even atheists believe somebody else's viewpoint of atheism. Like, for someone who says, I don't believe anything, they believe they don't believe anything. So what's the point in saying it? I mean, come on now. So I I say you're false with that. When we search for truth, everybody is looking for truth. What's true, what's good, what's right. When we search for that, we will always find God. Because God is truth. God is love. There's nothing else that he can be. So that brings me to my second thought. God wants us to find him. So God wants us to search, but in that search, he wants us to find him. In Genesis, we see that God walked with Adam. He came down in the garden every day in the cool of the day. He walked with him. He had a relationship with Adam. He was friends with Adam. And he wants to share that with you and me as well. In our everyday lives, we can, if we're sensitive to it, we can, we can feel God all around us every day. It was actually last year, I think, a pastor was, was given a message and he said, talking about somebody who was at work and they were praying and they could just feel the presence of God all around them. That was me. When the movie theater first came up for sale, we, you know, we talk in the small circles and we're like, man, we should buy the movie theater. That'd be amazing. But we can't afford to buy it. So maybe they'll give it to us because it's not even attached to the mall and it's falling apart and nobody wants it and nobody still wants it. So, so I remember, and there was a, a, someone had said, you know, if you want something, write it down and circle it. So I wrote it down and I circled it. I think it's still in my wallet. I keep it with me. And I remember I was in the drive-thru at the bank and all by myself, no customers, and I started praying and asking God for the movie theater. And I could just feel the atmosphere of the room change and everything in me just, I wasn't even there anymore. I was just in the presence of God. If we're sensitive to it, we will always feel the presence of God around us. So, I mean, you guys know, I'm a new father. We have a little Aubrey back there, six months old, one tooth, starting to crawl, starting to pull herself up. Hurts really bad when she bites you with that tooth. (laughs) It's the second best feeling I've ever had in my life was uh, holding her for the first time and seeing her born. And um, I mean, the first first best feeling was when I got to walk down the aisle and have my bride follow after me. Uh, That was awesome. But you know, if my daughter was crying or if she needed me, would I ignore her? No, I wouldn't ignore her. When she learns to talk, if she asks me for food or she asks me for a drink or something like that, would I ignore her? No. I'm not going to let her go. If she's, if she's looking for me, I'm not going to hide. And you know, it's the same thing with God. Same thing that he does with us. 
God wants to be near to us and he wants to be close to us and he wants to give us good gifts and, and edifying gifts. And even in, in Matthew, it talks about this. So 7-11, it says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give good gifts, father in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Like I said, my parents were amazing, but like I also said, we couldn't afford everything, but I never went without a need. My needs were always met. And a lot of you probably don't know this, but even a roof over my head when we first came to Pennsylvania. We did a lot of renovations with the building here. And if you don't know, the, the entrance used to be over here. There was a carport where the sound booth is. There was a nursery. And that nursery, when we first came, had two sets of stacked, uh, like bunk beds, like uh, cribs, stacked cribs. And for two weeks, when we first moved to Pennsylvania, that's where Chris and I slept. And my parents slept on the floor. I don't even think we had a, they had a blow-up mattress at first. They had to go buy one. But our need was met. We still had a roof over our head. And there was a lady who lived in our parking lot here in a trailer. Her name was Miss Kitty. And we used her shower. And we used her bathtub. And we had running water. Our needs were met from day one when we came to this church. My mind is really drawn, though, to the picture of Jesus knocking on the door uh, in Revelation in 3.20, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So God wants to find us so much that he comes to us. He doesn't wait for us to show up to him. He comes to us. So if you think about it, think about the disciples. Did the disciples go looking for a Messiah? Anybody? No, the disciples weren't even in the religious sect. They were religious outcasts. And how do we know that? <laughs> They're teenagers. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus found him in a boat. And actually before Jesus found him in a boat, he found him and healed his mother-in-law. He met Peter before he even called Peter. And it says in, let's take a look. It's in Mark one twenty-eight is when Jesus healed his mother-in-law. And actually, I heard uh, most scholars believe that's why Peter denied him later on, because he healed his mother-in-law. That'll sink in later. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No scholars said that. So uh, in Mark, Mark 1.28, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then in Luke uh, 4, he gets into Peter's boat when the crowds are pressing in, and he says, let's go cast your nets. So Mark 1, he meets Peter and heals his mother-in-law. Then his healing ministry started. But then in, in Luke uh, 4... He gets in Peter's boat after he met the guy and said, let's go fishing. Drop your nets over here. And I already did. We'll do it again. Okay, Lord. He already knew he was Lord just by the countenance that Jesus had. And then he said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So he already knew him. He already came to him. He, he scouted. He was scouting out to sea and he didn't get the best. That's for sure. Peter, I think, think about a fisherman. What are, fish, what are sailors known for? Sailors have mouths. Sailors are, are dirty. He doesn't call the best. In fact, there's an old cliche. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. God can use anyone he wants. I, I'm attest to that. I don't deserve to stand up here. Nobody deserves to stand up here and talk about Jesus. Only Jesus himself. But Jesus left to prepare a place for us and send his spirit to empower us. 
So I, I say all that to say, and this is my third and final point, God first found us. If God didn't want us to find him, he wouldn't have sent his son. Let's not even go that far. If God didn't want us to find him, he would have never created you. If God didn't want to be with you, he wouldn't have created you. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's called you to find him. We look for purpose and we look for meaning, and our purpose and meaning is to be with God. Our purpose and meaning is to love God and worship God. But you know, it's, it's crazy because I would never want to play hide and seek with God. Because wherever we go, he's there. But whenever he leaves us, it's not good news. I would also never want to play hide and seek with Mandy. When she was a kid, she played hide and seek with her mom once and decided to go into a closet and step into a pair of boots. And she was completely gone. Her mom started freaking out a little bit because she couldn't find her. She vanished. God could do the exact same thing. Now, he wouldn't step into a pair of boots, but he, would, he could disappear from us if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to. <clears throat> he, he created us to be with him. And in Deuteronomy uh, 31.8, I'm not sure if I put it in the PowerPoint or not. I added a couple things afterwards. It says, and the Lord, <clears throat> he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Whatever we do in life, wherever we go, whatever we're searching for, if we're not searching for God, he's still with us. If we don't care that he's standing right next to us, he's still standing right next to us. He first found us. In the Bible study that we were doing on Sunday nights, we talked about proving the existence of God to non-believers. And um, it's crazy. We can see God in the simplest things in life to the most complex things in life. And really, if you think about it, one of the most complex things in life is your eyeball. It's amazing. And actually, I'll have to read this for you because I didn't study the terms and know how to say them correctly. But this is how the eye works, if you don't know. The lens focuses light through uh, the vitreous humor, and that's a clear-like gel that sits behind, uh, your, your, behind the retina. The retina receives the image that the cornea focuses uh, through the eye's internal lens and then transforms this image into electrical impulses that are carried to the optic nerve of the brain. So what you see is a reflection of what's happening turned into electricity that shoots to a mush in your head that gives you perspective. That's all it is. We were watching Alaskan bush people the other night and um, the, the one guy, he's, he's very, um, he does a lot of scientific things and a lot of uh, experiments and whatnot. And he, he was talking about how electricity is really life. Everything that we do, if we want to move our arm, electrical impulses shoot through your body to, to make that move, expand and retract. So a few years ago now, I actually, I had a hole in my retina, in my right eye. I didn't even know I had it. You know, it, it didn't hurt at all, but if it was left unattended, it would have caused a lot of problems. They told me that 
that even with the smallest hole, it can start to fill with, with liquids, and then your retina can detach from, from your eye, and, and you're, you're done. You don't see anymore. So I feel as though we try to play God a lot in our lives, more than we'd like to admit, probably. Uh, most of the time, we don't worry about our own problems more than we want to help somebody figure out their problems. You know, it's not really our job. And in Matthew, uh, still in, in 7, just a few verses before it talks about seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open, it says, you hypocrite. Remove first the beam out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. The mindset we have is let's help somebody else instead of dealing with the pain of helping ourselves or letting God help us. So have you ever pulled a splinter out? It really hurts. Can you imagine pulling a plank out of your eye? Or even a splinter, not even a plank. Now, with my eye, I had to get it lasered shut. So I had to sit in the little machine where they say rest your chin, and then how they normally look in your eye with a light, and not this time. This time it was like a sewing machine foot pedal, and he just tapped it, and tapped it, and tapped it, and a green light went in my eye, and it really, really hurt. <laughs> But, you know, the process that God uses sometimes to fix us really, really hurts. And, you know, he's going to use other people in our lives to direct us to him, even if those people aren't permanent in your life. It's, you know, God orchestrates everything in our life, and he sets a natural order of things that creates our existence. This natural order was started on day one when he said, let there be light. You know, a couple months ago, I watched a dragonfly. He got caught in a web, in a spider web. I was at work again, and uh, it wasn't an elaborate web. There wasn't hundreds of strands and all over the place. It wasn't big, trying to catch as much as it could. It was a broken web with a single strand hanging down. So I watched this dragonfly get caught in this single strand of a broken web, and I watched him struggle and struggle and try to break free and try to break free, and he just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I mean, it was one little thread. One little thread of a spider web, and he couldn't get through. I watched him moment after moment. He would hang there lifeless and then muster up enough strength to try and fly his way straight down. He was trying to fly straight down, and he couldn't do it. He just went around in circles and just stopped and hung there lifeless again. Every few minutes, he would, he would keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And he didn't even know I was watching him, but I was rooting for him. What else was I going to do as it were? So... <laughs> I was rooting for this little guy. I wanted him to break free of his bondage so bad. And after a couple minutes, I decided to help him. So I looked to see what I had. He was hanging from the ceiling and, and I, I had an umbrella. So I picked up an umbrella because it was the longest thing I had. And I went out and I just knocked the string down. And uh, he fell, landed on the ground, didn't move. I'm like, man, did he like work himself dead with his exhaustion trying to get free? Like, what happened? So I went back inside, and, and I, I still watched him. He was there, and then I, it's like I blinked, and he was gone. So he flew away. Isn't this a perfect picture of life, though? All too many times, we're flying through life, and then bam, we're stuck by a single thread that we can't break free from. We're hung up on the littlest things that grab us, and they bind us up. Try as we may, we fight. And it's against sin. 
or against something that we just can't overcome, we can't shake it. We can't break free. And many people just give up. They, they tell themselves, well, I'm not perfect. I'll just keep, I still love God. I'm not perfect. I'll just, I'll keep praying. I'll ask for forgiveness. You know, I thought to myself, maybe if I help this little guy, maybe if I help the, the dragonfly, I'm going to disrupt this natural order of life. Maybe that part of the web wasn't actually broken. Maybe it was still attached to where the spider could get to it, and I just took his meal away. Maybe a bird could have flown down and got a, a, a fast food meal just hanging there. I mean, like, he was literally in the most vulnerable state, just hanging there, completely helpless. Who knows? I might have messed up the natural order. Not like humans haven't done it before. You know, God set this world in motion and, and he set a natural order with it and we ruined it. Humans ruined it with the first bite of the apple, the first deception. Humans acted in sin and gave in, but God sent his son, his only son, and his son knew no sin, yet became sin so we can become right with him to set that order straight again. Jesus came to save us from our secret sins that hold us up, that bind us up. He came to find us in our most vulnerable state, hanging by a thread, to make himself known so that we can see him and we may be with him and we'll find him in the act of him finding us. You know, a few weeks ago, pastor said that hidden sin and inner peace with God uh, do not coexist. Let me submit to say they can never coexist. It doesn't work that way. So what's hidden in your life? What strand is holding you back, keeping you from your freedom, your true freedom? What are you searching for? I, I really think David said it best. You know, we're, we've been in a study in Psalms with Pastor, and I thought this was a great place to take this to end this. Who are we searching for? When you're going through life, the random person on the street, what are they looking for? They're looking for truth. They're looking for righteousness. They're looking for love and honesty. But really, they're looking for the king of glory. That's who they're looking for. And if we look in Psalms 24, I'm gonna read the whole chapter for you. It's only 10 verses. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. They will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from God their savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob, Lift up your head, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. These altars are open. If, if you want, if you need to come in and hash it out with Jesus. That's really what it boils down to. We need to confess our sins to him. We need to let him take over. It's funny that it's the littlest things 
that, that hold us up. And you know, do you know how they catch monkeys in the wild? I, they used to, I don't know if they still do. But they would take a hollow uh, circular object, maybe a coconut or something like that, and they put a hole in it that's small enough for the monkey's hand to go into, and there's a treat inside. He wants that treat so bad when he grabs it, he can't get his fist out of the hole. He's stuck. But he won't let go because that's what he wants. But can I, can I ask, are we stuck holding on to something or is that something holding on to us now? We are in control of our lives with the help of God. We have to let him open our hands. We can't do that by ourselves. We can never grab something and expect to go back into the presence of God with something hidden. So come to the altar if you need to. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that we can search for an eternity and look to our right or left, front or back, and you're right there with us. You go before us, you come behind us. You will never leave us, you will never forsake us. There's nothing that we can do to escape your presence. And God, I pray that we wouldn't be a people of searching, that we wouldn't be aimless wanderers walking with our heads down, that we would do what the scripture says, what David says, lift up your heads. If we walk around with our heads down, we'll never see what's in front of us. We'll never see that you're right there. God, I pray that you would lift our heads, that you would give us the courage to lift our heads because you gave us free will. You can't do it for us, but you can help us. You're not going to force us to do anything, but you want us to do everything. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you give us that, that opportunity 